0: This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. As I had mentioned, we have uh, left our Advent series. Uh, We're going to be starting a new series on the Gospel of Luke. Uh, And that works quite well uh, because, you know, Luke opens with the birth narrative of Jesus. I mean, there's some stuff that comes uh, in chapter one as well with, with uh, John the Baptist and, and some others, uh, but we're going to be starting in Luke chapter two. Um, and I remember applying to college, and I don't know if you guys uh, remember this or have an experience like this. Uh, the college that I went to was uh, exceedingly good at, at training pastors, uh, people for ministry, uh, but it was also somewhat difficult to get into. And so there was this great anticipation that came with receiving an acceptance letter. Now, there was this anticipation or this fear behind this, this acceptance letter uh, because it could also be a rejection letter, right? Um, there's numerous levels to this fear. Uh, the words themselves uh, can be hard to read, acceptance or rejection. Um, also, the impact that it might have on my life, the plans that I had made, This letter that would come in the mail would would also affect those. And then there's a third aspect of that people knew that I was applying to this college. People knew that I needed to have some plan. If it didn't work out, I was going to have to tell people about it. Now, even if it wasn't a college you wanted to go to, I would imagine that that same trepidation would still be there. You feel pressured to apply to this one place for whatever reason, and if you get accepted, you're also going to have to tell people that you're going to go there too. Sharing news is also terrifying. Now it's not just acceptance into college where this happens. Um, This can happen in a number of different ways that you guys have probably experienced. Military orders, business deals, awards for certain projects, or whether certain pieces would be published. When we wait with this sort of anticipation, there's often fear involved. A fear of what the words themselves might say. A fear because of the plans that it may have on our life, and a fear that we're going to have to share this news with someone. And I think Christianity as as a religion, as we explore Christianity, we encounter a lot of those same fears. We're afraid of what the Word of God might say just in and of itself. That it might be judgment to us. We're afraid of the plans that it might ask us to change in our own lives. And we're also afraid that we're going to have to share this news with someone. And so today I hope that we can see, we can learn from the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 that we are not to be afraid. That investigating Christianity um, should not be fraught with fear because God's word is faithful, his plan is good, and the news is worth sharing. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word, which comes from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to go through verse 20. glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord is good news to us forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Please be seated. So we're exploring this idea of a fear concerning our exploration of the Christian faith and one of the first things that we're afraid of is the word of God itself. It rightly inspires a certain amount of fear. Now the first thing I want to acknowledge maybe doesn't quite fit well with my college acceptance analogy, because our college acceptance letters usually come uh, in a language that we can understand. Uh, They usually come in in understandable language. There's there's no uh, fear of misunderstanding whether we were accepted or rejected. But the Bible is difficult to understand, would you agree? It's not always the easiest thing to read not because of the, the judgment that might be there in it, but also just because it's an old book. There's a movie where a kid keeps asking his dad, are we going to go to the game? I think he's talking about a football game, if I remember correctly. And the dad says, possibly. And as the kid keeps asking over and over and over again, dad, are we going to go to the game? He keeps answering, possibly. Possibly we're going to the game. And then as the kid continues to ask, the dad in a little bit of his frustration decides uh, to give his son uh, an English lesson. He says, do you know what probably means? It means that there's a good chance that we're gonna go to the game. Do you know what possibly means? It could go either way. So then he asks his son to define what does possibly mean? And the kid throws down his arms and says, it means we're not going to the game. Sometimes I think that we all feel like this kid Interpreting the word "possibly" or trying to read the Bible and kind of getting it a little bit wrong, but also kind of deducing like it must mean this other thing. But just like human maturity and having to learn how language is used and what people mean by certain words, part of Christian maturity is learning to read the Bible. It's not easy; it takes work. We have to be corrected. We have to be taught. Uh, we have to study. <laughs> but that's God's word. But that's just the first aspect of God's Word that scares us. Really, the, the, the part that haunts us, um, the part that, that sets us back a little bit on our heels is the fact that God's Word might be bad news to us, that we might read it and it might just be full of judgment, anger, and hate. This couples a little bit more with my analogy of the college acceptance letter. If you're applying to a college and you filled out the application, the question, the, f- the fear that, that comes with the reception of the, the letter is: Will I, w- Was I correctly understood? Will I be accepted? Will I be missed? Did I say the wrong things? Did I check the wrong boxes? Now, I wonder how these shepherds felt watching over their flocks by night in the region of Bethlehem. Not educated. Not qualified to discern the word of the Lord, not qualified to make sense of what was going to happen, not even prestigious, but of the lowest social classes, sleeping outside. The word of the Lord comes to them. A messenger of the Lord, an angel, shows up, and they are afraid. Afraid maybe because they won't be able to understand it, afraid maybe because, uh, you know, it's beyond their pay grade that there there are Pharisees and teachers of the law that should be interpreting these things, but also afraid because God's angels are showing up. Is judgment coming? Is this going to be bad news to me? But the first things that the angels say, the first thing that the angel says is, do not Be afraid. For what the news that I have to bring to you is good news. Good news that a Savior has been born. I've talked to a number of people, and like a number, when I say like more than five, like more than a handful, that were physically afraid to enter a church. Afraid that it might be bad news to them. Some of these people are haunted by their own actions with a knowledge that God condemns some of the things that they've done, and they said, no, I can't go there. It's bad news for me. Some, having lived lives being taken advantage of by others, maybe even Christians themselves, can't even stomach the idea that there might be good news found in God's word. I don't even want to look there. It would just make me angry. But when the word of the Lord comes to shepherds, Rightfully fearing the judgment of God, the first words they hear are fear not. Fear not. If you're afraid to explore what Christianity has to offer, if you're afraid to open up the Bible because it's going to be too difficult to read, hear the words of the angels that say, Fear not. It is good news for you. It is not bad news. It may be full of judgment, but to those to whom it is proclaimed, it is good news. A Savior has been born. Redemption is coming. Do not fear to come near to God. Even in the midst of our backsliding in sin, The Word of God is good news to you. But we're not only afraid to come to God uh, because it might be bad news to us, because of the words in the letter maybe, uh, but we're also afraid because of how it might impact our lives, what God might ask us to do. It might change our plans. I don't know if you guys remember the story of the rich young ruler in the Bible. Uh, He wasn't afraid to come to God. He had thought that he had done the words of the Lord. If you remember, he asked Jesus, Teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And then he lists some of the 10. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not murder, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And this rich young ruler said, Lord, I've done all of these since my youth. And Jesus responds, well, there's still one thing you lack. Sell all of your possessions and follow me. The rich young ruler went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. What Jesus was asking him to do, Jesus' plan for his life was too costly. No, I can't do that. Are you afraid to come to God because of what he might ask you to do? Maybe your conscience has already been um, pricked You've already been made aware of the fact that there are things in God's Word um, that condemn the lifestyle that you lead, Um, certain ways that you behave towards coworkers or your spouse or your children um, or even friends, that there are certain things that you enjoy partaking in, and you know already, God's plan for me involves letting these things go. Why would I do it? But it's not just... uh, these things that rightly uh, inspire fear, or, or maybe, uh, let me say it this way. Um, the rich young ruler, right, was called to sell all of his possessions, all these good things that brought him great joy. He was going to sell all these possessions. He said, no, 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 that's, that's too costly. Now, maybe God is asking you to sell all of your possessions. I don't know what God's asking you to do. But I do know that there are some things that all Christians are called to do, all of us, without fail. Have you ever heard of the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. These things are scary in and of themselves. To love that coworker that you've been fighting with for the last years. To have joy at the same monotonous job that God has called you into day in and day out, over and over and over again. To be kind and gentle to those who who are wicked to you, to have self-control and not act out in drinking or visiting that website again and again, to admit that you aren't perfect, that you need to be held accountable. God's plan for your life might rightly strike fear in you. It might cause you to be afraid and say, this is too costly. I can't do this. See, the shepherds also had a plan for their lives. Their plan was to watch over their flocks, guard against wolves, make their money, provide a service, good, honest work. God had a different plan this evening. He showed up and told them to leave and go find a baby. Now, we don't know if they left their sheep. It says they left with haste. Maybe they took their sheep with them. Either way, even by today's standards, traveling at night is never a great idea, They're putting their business venture at risk, and by the world's eyes, it seems awfully foolish. The baby would probably still be there in the morning, right? Couldn't I wait just a little bit longer before I commit my life to God's plan? But in verse 16, the shepherds went with haste. With haste, they followed God's plan putting at risk maybe their business, putting at risk maybe being beset by wolves or robbers, to follow God's plan for their lives. God's plan for their life was to find great joy. Great joy. Joy may be the Bible's translation for the best thing in our life. The best plan that God has for us is to bring us the best things we could ever want. And what we learn from the shepherds is that the best thing that we could ever want is to see Jesus. We talked about this a little bit on Christmas Eve, um, if you were here for that. The best joy, the thing that gives us um, the most purpose in our lives, the thing that all of humanity was supposed to do for all of time, is to be in relationship with God himself. The thing that has been wrong since Adam and Eve is that they've been running away from God. God as fast as they can. The joy that the shepherds found, no doubt, was surprising. (laughs) Angels showed up to humble people of low estate in the middle of the night outside of town and said, go find a baby. And yet it was exactly as they had been told. They went with haste, they saw, And it caused them great joy. And it bubbled up out of them. God's best for you may not include what you think your best for you is. It may not include superficial health and wealth. But I promise you, it includes deep joy. Deep, lasting joy of a relationship with God himself. We aren't just afraid because of God's word or God's plan for our lives. But we've heard that God's word to us uh, is faithful and it's true, it's good news. Uh, And also that God's plan for our lives is actually to bring us good joy. So we've got no reason to be afraid for the the things that he calls us into because his goal is to bring us great joy. But we're also afraid at sharing this news. Now, I think this comes probably a little bit after, you know, we've embraced Christianity. Uh, But then this question comes of like, What am I going to do with this faith? I'm going to have to talk to my family members and my friends, uh, and some of them are going to have really hard questions, really hard questions. And I have to be honest, I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in Bible and theology, and there is so much that I do not understand about how God works in the world. Answering those questions of why did God allow X, Y, Z, horrible thing to happen in my life? God doesn't always tell us. But it's not just this fear of having an answer to every question, uh, which I think is part of that fear of sharing, but I think there's also another part of that fear of sharing that we're gonna get in the way, that we're gonna do something wrong. Uh, maybe it's sharing the wrong thing, maybe it's sharing the right thing at the wrong time, and then we're afraid that that person then will never come back around to Christian faith. We're afraid that our sharing will somehow inhibit the work that God is doing in their lives. I think this question becomes even more real when we think about our children. Maybe one of the greatest inhibitors to us sharing our faith is that we recognize that we are hypocrites. (laughs) We say that God has saved us from all these evil things, and yet we continue to do some of them. The outside world can see it, of course. And so we as Christians are like, yeah, we are a little bit of hypocrites. Jesus saves me every day. I need him every hour. That's why we sing those songs. But our children see it in a peculiar way, right? Up close and personal. They see our hypocrisies, our do as I say, not as I do, time and time again. Are we going to get in the way? Is our sharing of faith, should we be afraid that we are going to inhibit the spread of the gospel, of the good news, because we're so imperfect? Luke doesn't comment on whether these shepherds ask these sorts of questions, uh, but we do get a response about them sharing what has happened to them. Because they share about the good news that they had heard and about the immense joy that they had found... Um, when When they followed God's plan for their lives, and in verse 17, they shared it. Not just cold, hard facts, distant, but they shared themselves. God's word came, and it was good news to me. I followed God's plan, and it brought me great joy. Lasting peace. Now, I think there's a couple of things uh, that we can learn from their response. If we can look at the shepherds for a little bit. Uh, first, uh, we have to assume their disposition of sharing, right? Uh, again, they're part of like the lowest social order. And they came in the middle of the night. And whether their sheep were there or not, you know, people are waking up. And let's say their sheep are there, right? They're, they're like, what are you guys doing here? You're not supposed to be here. So their friends start first. And they're like, man, I got to tell you this crazy story. Like angels came out last night. It was amazing. It was amazing. And they told us that like, there's going to be this baby here. And then we came into town and we found the baby. The baby was there. And I've got to say, like, I'm just bubbling over with joy. Now it's like, you can see this, people gathering together and the group slowly grows. But all the while, the disposition of the shepherds are, good things have happened to me. I don't have an answer for all of the Old Testament texts. I don't have an answer for how it's all going to fit together. But I do know that God's word was good news to me. I do know that his plan brought me great joy. And so I want to share it with you. Let's investigate it together. But now, uh, a second thing that we can learn from them is that those shepherds were fully convinced, whether it's just because of their low estate or whatever else, the disposition that they had when they shared, that other people's responses were totally outside of their control. Some may have mocked them, but they aren't recorded in Scripture, in Luke here. It says that all who heard it wondered. All who heard it wondered. Shepherds couldn't have been in charge of that. I doubt they were all that eloquent. I'm sure they were people, you know, uh, that had worked the land and worked with animals for a long time. Like I said, not highly educated, not communicating the most clearly, and yet what they communicated with joy made people wonder. But wonder wasn't the only thing that happened. I think there's a lot of people that wonder around the Christmas season. They hear Jesus in the songs. They come back to church and they hear things and they wonder, man, Jesus, what's the deal with Jesus? But the text will go on and in verse 19, it it will have a but, and a but's an important conjunction. Some people wonder, but Mary has a different response. It seems that Mary's response is the one that we're always hoping for when we share our faith. We're hoping for people that ponder and treasure. In fact, I actually don't think we're really looking for that when we share our faith. I think we're looking for people to make a decision right there. (laughs) Uh, We want people to be able to like show the evidence right there. But Mary pondered and treasured. Everybody else wondered. I wonder if we get so focused on us being able to see the result of our sharing that we lose sight of the fact that it is God who saves and not us. We are lowly shepherds, inexperienced, unknowledgeable about the Word of God, (laughs) no matter how much we know, still not Jesus, still dependent upon Jesus every day. And yet, God delights to use our humble and lowly sharing to affect the lives of others. You see, there was a lot of times throughout the Gospel of Luke that Mary will ponder and treasure. Not all of these that I'll list will be, but just listen to this beginning part of the life of Jesus. She's just given birth. There's random people showing up saying that angels had told them that your son is king. She had an angel herself show up. She's probably feeling afraid of God's plan for her life. King Herod's wanting to kill all of the children. They have to flee to Egypt. But before that happens, she also gets to meet uh, Elizabeth. And uh, the baby in her womb, John the Baptist, leaps for joy, and she bursts into song about who Jesus was going to be. When they would go to the temple after Jesus' birth, Simeon and Anna would be there singing praises over Jesus. Mary pondered. Mary treasured. When Jesus is a little bit older a child, maybe about 12 years old, they travel to Jerusalem and he stays behind at the temple and they're on their way back and they don't know where Jesus is. They go all the way back to Jerusalem to go find him and he's talking with the teachers of the law, uh, the highly educated, the PhDs. What are you doing here? Jesus answers, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Mary treasured and pondered. Mary didn't understand everything. All at once. She didn't know, it seems from her song, that she understood the Old Testament quite well. She did understand when the angels came to her what God was doing through her and the importance of it. And yet she's still treasuring and pondering all of the pieces. We never quite know where our sharing fits in the life of someone else. If it's one piece that they treasure or something that they simply wonder at their entire lives. But regardless of whatever it is, this should not stop us from sharing the good news of great joy that has been proclaimed over us because we're not responsible for its effects. We are responsible for our disposition, for following after Jesus, gentle and lowly, humble like these shepherds saying, this is what the Lord has done for me and I don't understand all of the pieces, but I can tell you what I do understand. This in my life is better. And God delights to make you shepherds whose testimony is pondered and treasured. To make you a Simeon or an Anna or an Elizabeth. To make you someone who shares what God has done in their lives. And to make you a part of someone else's story. These fears, though, um, they still linger, right? Right? Like, they come back time and time again. <laughs> we get, like, re- remade afraid of God's word. Uh, we get uh, made re-afraid of God's plan uh, as he calls us in to new moves in our lives. And there are certain situations where we are afraid yet again to share our faith. How do we know that these fears should finally be put to rest? How do we know that time and time again, we can hear those words, Fear not well, this is a church. And so my answer to most questions here, the answer is Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill God's word. But more than that, Jesus is God's word to us. John describes him as the word of God, the word of God embodied. And although Jesus could strike fear, when you read about him in the New Testament, his fear was always framed in love. And you know how we know that is because when the shepherds ran to go see Jesus, they found not a royal king holding a sword ready to execute judgment, but a baby lying in a manger, humble and lowly. Jesus, the embodiment of God's word to us, isn't fear. Children ran to him. It's love. What about plan? God's plan for our lives. He showed his disciples uh, that his plan for their lives uh, was better than the ones that they had for their own. It was more full, more abundant. Not necessarily the things that they had wanted. They may have just wanted more fish. But he said, Leave behind those fishers' nets and become fishers of men. Jesus' plan brings us more joy. What about sharing our faith? Jesus is the one who promises that he is making his own kingdom. He knows his sheep, they've been given to him by the Father, and he said he will lose not one. You're not getting in the way of Jesus' plan, but he does invite you into it. He says, yes, I do all the saving, and yet you've got a part in this story to play share what's happened to you. You may be met with cynicism. You may just be met with wonder. But he calls us to share because he knows all of those who who will treasure and ponder. It is his responsibility to build his kingdom, and he will never miss an opportunity. He will seize everyone the reason that we do not fear God's word, God's plan, or our sharing about his work is because Jesus has abolished all of the fears associated with these things. He has shielded us from God's words against our sin by paying the penalty for it. He has empowered us to live according to his plan by sending us his Holy Spirit into giving us new life. And Jesus is the one who makes our sharing effectual, and so our fear of sharing our faith is unfounded. And we with the chorus of angels, can say, do not fear. God has good news for us of great joy. God is for us. Amen. Now, when Jesus came, uh, he was God with us. Uh, if you were around uh, at any church uh, for the last few weeks, you probably heard that that Emmanuel phrase means God with us with us. Now, God came 2,000 years ago as a baby in a manger, but right now He's not with us in the same way. Something's happened. After His death and resurrection, He ascended to be at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us on our behalf, which is awesome. Um, But also, He sent a helper. And this helper was to declare these truths over and over and over again. His helper was called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he sent also along with certain actions. And this is, this is one of these things that we're supposed to do in remembrance of him. Now, the Holy Spirit, as we do these actions in remembrance of him, reminds us that this is God for us. His body broken for you. His blood shed for you. You do not need to fear that God is at war with you. He's inviting you to sit down at a table. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and having blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples as I am ministering in his name, now give it to you, and Jesus said to them, "Take this bread and eat it. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And in the same way, he took the cup and after he had blessed it and given thanks, he said to his disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the remission of the sins of many. Take and drink. This is not the table of Trinity Church or our denomination. It is Jesus's table. Jesus inviting you here. Jesus saying, taste and see that I am for you. For all those who have been united to him in baptism and know his love towards them, this is for you. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. But if you harbor some fears and doubts about who Jesus is, if you're not sure that God's word to you is good news, if you're not sure that his plan really is full of great joy, and if you're not sure there's anything there worth sharing at all, I'd invite you to refrain from this portion of our service. We're glad you're here. Uh, We all um, have been in places where we have doubted the Lord's goodness to us. And yet the Lord always calls us back through his word. I'd invite you to make use of that section in our uh, bulletin. You can find some prayers for those who are not communing. Um, In a moment, I'll pray. And then for those who are communing, we'll come forward. There will be a serving station uh, on my right and my left. Um, So we'll come down the center aisle and go out there. Uh, There's gluten-free bread if you need. Please notify your server when you get there. And then there is red wine and clear grape juice. Please take according to your conscience. If you would, please pray with me. Holy Spirit, we ask you, Lord, that you would make Jesus clear to us. That you would make Jesus clear to us even as we eat this bread and we drink this cup that these common elements might unite us to deeper in faith, deeper in faith to Jesus this morning, that we might know him better, know his love towards us, know his good plan, and be overflowing with joy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.